concept, an idea that's been already dealt with here in the, in the last few weeks. And uh, so I'm going to take a little bit different tack on it, but it's going to be the same, pretty much the same topic. And that is our Christian walk. Now, we want to turn to Galatians chapter 2 as our starting point. And here we're dealing with the situation that Paul encountered with Peter. So Galatians chapter 2, and, and we'll begin with verse uh, 11. We'll just read this, this passage here and then make a couple comments about that and then move on. In verse 11 it says, But when Peter came to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be uh, blamed. For before that certain men came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly, that phrase, they walked not uprightly, that, that word behind that little phrase in the Greek text has to do with walking straight-footed. Straight-footed. And the point of it all is Peter's walk was not straight. It was crooked. And so when we go back on the Lord and we're not walking with him anymore in the way he designed for us and desires for us, you're walking crooked. You're not walking the path that he's laid out for us. And that, he says, was you're not walking uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. So I said unto Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? In other words, by your backing away, Peter, by your withdrawing yourself and separating yourself, you are compelling or forcing the Gentiles to live the way the Jews do. And Paul's point was, it's just plain wrong. So he says, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. And that's, this is Paul's important concept right here. Knowing that a man is not justified, that is, said to be a righteous person, by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. That's what Peter was reverting to. He was withdrawing from his fear of the circumcision, that is, believing Jews who had come up to Galatia, and there, uh, you know, Paul says, I had to withstand Peter. 
because he wasn't walking uprightly. He was walking crooked, not straight-footed. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found, uh, also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? And Paul's response to that is, God forbid. What he's getting at there is, if we are, and he's already anticipating what the question is going to be, that if we are justified, that is said to be righteous, simply by faith in Christ, then what's the point of walking with Christ afterwards? You know, we have that question today. As a matter of fact, it seems to be very common that people want to live however they want to live, even though they have trusted Christ as their Savior. And this was something that was going on in Paul's day. Christians who understood this, who realized and recognized that all they had to do was believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they would be saved. That was it. The next thing they said, well, then, what is the point, then, of living and walking with Christ? if we know we've already been declared to be righteous. And Paul, you know, Paul says, well, his response to that was, um, is Christ therefore the minister of sin? God forbid. Certainly not. So Peter's walking straight-footed, or crookedly. He's not walking straight-footed. He wasn't being straightforward, in other words, about the truth of the gospel. And you imagine that, that in this scene, you can just picture Peter sitting at a table, eating with Gentiles, a common practice wherever he was going. And then along comes somebody that he had a fear of, what they, were going, what they might say. And so he withdrew himself. And the point of it all is, is he marred the good news. He really destroyed the message because of his conduct and the way he was acting. Now, Peter took, or excuse me, Paul, you know, took exception then to, to Peter's conduct and rebuked him really for it. Uh, he, you know, in this passage, it's good for us to recognize that Paul is not questioning Peter's belief in the gospel. There's nothing in this passage. Matter of fact, if I can find it here, he said, oh yeah, right here in verse uh, 16. Look at that in in chapter 2, verse 16, where he says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed. I think Paul was including Peter there. He says, even we have believed, Peter. We know where it comes. And by the way, that's an aorist tense there. We have believed at a point in time. 
Like we said a couple weeks ago, aorist tense means something like a snapshot. Or if you pulled your phone out, you know, and you, you hold something over here, and I think it's there or something, you can do a screenshot. You can take a picture there and whatever's on the screen, and you can save it. It's like it took place at a particular point in time. And Paul is acknowledging Peter. We have believed. We know that. So why are you acting the way you're acting? Why did you withdraw yourself? Just because these men from James came up. Well, it tells us there Peter was afraid of them. He did it in fear. Now, um, so Paul's reminder here then to Peter and, of course, to the churches of Galatia that he's writing to that righteousness does not come by the works of the law. We need to remember that. But I want to tell you, sometimes it's hard to remember that. We have this thing within us that wants us to go work and do something for God in order to earn his righteousness, earn his favor. And Paul's clear message is that is wrong. Now we're going to go look at the matter of works following having believed. But the point of it all is, is that this matter of righteousness comes by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ and no other way. Now, I want to look at a couple of passages, and by, by the way, there are many that speak of this very thing, so, and we won't, we won't even have time to look at all of them. He tells us then, um, I think it's in verse 20, Chapter 2, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. We know this verse. I have been crucified with Christ. And notice what he goes on to say. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So catch that. From this point on, Having believed, it's not me that lives, it's Christ living in me. But notice what then he says, and he goes on to say after that. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words... From that point on, having believed, I now live by faith in the Son of God. And that's what I want to look at this morning is, that well, in a minute here, uh, this matter of living by faith once we have received Christ as our Savior. Now, um, boy, I... I there are numerous passages, and I'm just going to name some of these because I can see right now I won't have time to look, look them up. One of the most well-known ones that we know is Acts 16, verse 31. 
Uh, but you know, Romans 4, 17, if you look at chapter 10, verses 14 and 16, chapter 11, verses 30 and 31, 1 Corinthians 15, 2, 2 Corinthians 4, 13, 2 Timothy 1, 12, Titus 3, 8, Hebrews 4, 3, all of these are in aorist tense. And it's, they're all speaking about having believed. It's what comes after that that takes up the majority of the message of the New Testament, especially in Paul's epistles, Peter, James, John, and Jude. All of them are speaking primarily about what we are doing as believers once we have believed at that point in time. We do not need to go back and revisit that point in time, the day we receive Christ as our Savior. It's over. It's a done deal. You can't go back and, and straighten it out. You can't re, you know, undo it. There's nothing you can do having believed. And that ought to be a, a source of comfort and assurance. But of course, there's more. Now, um, well, let's look at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, where Paul says, where, in, in verse 27, I'm sorry, Romans 3, 27, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. That's what Paul just said, remember? I now live by faith. It's not by works, he says, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? And he says, well, yes, of the Gentiles. Also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. In other words, they come to Christ the same way. There is no difference between a Jew believing and a Gentile believing. They both come by faith. And it's... It, Boy, Romans chapter 4, I have to skip some verses here. We, you know, Paul goes on an extension here, uh, an extended uh, discourse here about Abraham. And he talks about Abraham in verse 1 by saying, What shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, and that was Abraham, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, 
his faith is accounted for righteousness. And then I want to go to um, verse 16. He says, therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. Now that's an aorist tense there. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope, believed, Aristens again, so that he became the father of many nations. In other words, the point was, is that when you know Abraham believed the promises of God, it was an Aristens moment. There was nothing more. That was it. It was not by works. Now, Abraham had works following that when he took his son Isaac up to offer him on the altar. But that came later. And as a matter of fact, um, down at verse 22, it says, Therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up uh, Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered up because of our offenses and were raised because of our justification. And I'm not going to take time to look at the passage, but you, you remember this, that Paul asked the question, when did Abraham believe? Before circumcision. Why is that important? Because circumcision was the mark of his covenantal agreement that God made. And that was the beginning of the Jewish nation. It was in seed form. When did Abraham believe? Before that ever occurred. So Paul's argument then is that that includes Gentiles along with Jews. It includes anybody who believes. Now, I need to move on. Um, man, I got so many things I'm going to have to skip over here then. Um, which ones am I going to leave in? You know, James makes the same argument, and I, I, I was going to read that whole passage, but... Um, James in James chapter 2, he says, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? In other words, now we're moving on to the question of what do works mean then? once a person has believed, because he establishes that the, the fact, just like Paul did, 
that Abraham believed before circumcision. So what point then do works have after that? And he, he, is, he makes the point that in verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Okay, so Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness before he was circumcised. Now, afterwards, when he takes Isaac up to the altar, his works made his faith complete. It fulfilled it. He says then in verse 24, you see that then that a man is justified by, uh, that, 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 I'll get it out. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Paul's point, or James's point, if you do not have works that follow your faith, then you have a dead faith. But you notice he doesn't say that you don't have any faith. You just have a dead faith. And the analogy he makes is, if you have a body without the spirit, it's dead. So you just try to imagine here, there's a body laying here. It's dead. The spirit is gone. But he's not saying when the spirit is gone, you don't have a body anymore. It's still there. It's just a dead body. So if you have faith, but you don't have works to accompany the faith, then your faith is dead. Now, you still have faith. Remember that aorist tense. You have believed, but you have now a dead faith. It's not operative. It's not working. Now, why is that important? What's the point of that? Why do we need to have an active faith? Well, I want us to look at a couple more passages. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verses 18 and 19. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. We have to skip the context here a little bit. I'm going to, just for sake of time, but I, I know that you're familiar with the passage where Paul says, I put this charge before you, Timothy, my child, in keeping with the prophecies once spoken about you in order that with much encouragement you may fight the good fight. To do this... You must hold firmly to faith. You must hold firmly to faith. When? Timothy is already a disciple. He's already a believer. But Paul's instructions to Timothy are you must hold to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected 
you can reject your faith. Not, not, not the, the Aristotle's faith. He's not talking about that. You can't reject that, but you can reject walking by faith. You can turn back. Or as Paul says it here, and so have suffered shipwreck in regard to the faith. And that is a sad thing because the consequences are devastating. To make shipwreck of faith, and he gives a couple examples, and we won't look at those. Turn to Titus chapter 3, Titus chapter 3, and verse 3. He tells us, therefore, we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. You were at one time, he says, disobedient, foolish, serving various lusts, hating one another. Even in spite of the condition that you were in, by the love and mercy of God, he says, he saved you. I hope you can relate to that. As I look back on my own life and I think how I was before I came to Christ. And, and these things that he's talking about here, boy, some, a lot of that fits where I was. So God didn't look down at me and says, hey, you know, I, I don't know if you just clean your act up a little bit. You know, I could save you. You'd make a pretty good Christian then. But he didn't do that. It was right in the midst of all of this stuff here that I was, and Paul's saying Timothy was, it was the kindness and love of God and his mercy that he saved us. How? He says, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Christ, Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified, having been declared righteous by his grace, that's how that came about, by his grace, that we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those, now watch it again, those other Christians who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. So when we look at, if we think back about Peter's withdrawing from the Gentiles and no longer eating with them uh, because of these, these men that came from James, these Jewish believers, that act that he performed was not a work of righteousness. It was not a good work. He was acting contrary to the gospel. Just like Paul says right here, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, 
he saved us. Now, with that in mind, I don't know if I can make it. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. There is a purpose and a reason given for living by faith, for having a walk that follows your initial having believed. And it's the present tense, by the way, faith. This present tense of believing that follows that aorist tense, that one-time that one snapshot back here where I believed, and now what takes place following that? Is there something to that? Is there going to be an end, you know, a purpose, a reason for that? Or is it just that, well, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, and it really doesn't matter much how I live? Paul says it does. And the writer of Hebrews says it does. It makes a difference. Well, what kind of difference is it? Well, here in chapter 10, I wanted to get my my other Bible out because that's where I got some of my old notes uh, that I need to look at. Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll begin with verse 36, I think it is. Yeah. Beginning in verse 36, he says, For ye have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now, he says, the just. Well, who are the just? Well, that's those who have believed. We've already looked at several passages, and many more we could have looked at, that tell us that the just person, the righteous person, is that person who has believed the gospel. And so he says here, now the just shall live, how? By faith. But he says, if, and I know the King James says any man, but the context there is, the just man, if he draws back, if that one who has believed in Christ draws back from walking in faith or living by faith, he says, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. What a sad state of affairs to know that if I shrink back from walking by faith as Peter thankfully, only momentarily did. But many will withdraw and just quit altogether. And the writer of Hebrews is telling this, that us that if we do that, then that just man no longer has any pleasure from God. He's disappointed in him. And he goes on to say in verse 39, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition. What happens to the person who draws back from walking by faith? Perdition, destruction, ruin, shipwreck, as Paul said over in 1 Timothy. 
You have made a complete mess of your life if you shrink back from walking with the Lord. And he'll no longer have any pleasure in you. And he goes on to say, We are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul, the saving of the life. Your life then will be preserved if you continue to walk by faith. And the writer of Hebrews uh, is encouraging them that we're not like that. We haven't, we haven't shrunk back from walking by faith, and don't you do it. And none of us should do it either because the consequences are devastating. You make shipwreck out of your faith, and the consequence of that is ruin and destruction. So he goes on to say then, and by the way, I like the, a, a translation here that says, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them of faith to the saving of the soul. Them of faith. That faith which follows having believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he goes on to say then in chapter 11 and verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, it really helps if you follow Oh, I bumped it and lost my place. There we go. If you follow the context of, of what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying here when he's talking about faith, because he's talking about, in chapter 11, you remember, those who lived by faith. And so look at it this way. Read it this way. Because we talked about those who had faith up here in chapter 10, and then the consequences of some who draw back. But then he says, we're not like that. We are of faith to the saving of the soul. Now, chapter 11, verse 1, faith, and then add this little phrase in there. Contextually, faith to the saving of the soul is the substance of things hoped for. You see, that's where the writer is carrying us into this declaration of all of these saints in chapter 11 who did live by faith, who maintained faith all the way to the very end. <clears throat> faith to the saving of the soul is the substance. It is the, it's the it's the, like the title deed. It's the guarantee concerning the saving of your soul is living by faith. That's what the word substance here means. As a matter of fact, I really like what Moulton and Milligan in their uh, Greek lexicon has to say about this word substance. So I'm going to read it to you. It says, in all cases... This word carries the idea of something that underlies visible conditions. That is, the visible conditions of a person who is living by faith. Underlying that, 
he says, guarantees a future possession. Now, I know that might be a little hard to grasp, but I want you to catch the idea of what the substance of faith is and why it's important. Because he's saying here that underlying this matter of walking by faith, which can be made shipwreck of, which you can withdraw from, which Peter did with the Gentiles, which we can make come to the point of perdition, of ruin and destruction. He says, underlying this, that if you do live by faith, there is the guarantee of a future possession. So I'm going to read this again, because this word is not just used here. In secular Greek, this was used in many, many other situations. In matter of fact, in dealing a lot with ownership of property. So the whole idea then that you and I have the prospect of a future possession is really important. So I'm going to read it again. They said here, concerning the meaning of this word substance, it says, in all cases, it carries the idea of something that underlies visible conditions and guarantees a future possession. So when you're talking about property, when you're talking about ownership, when you're talking about having a possession, and if it was in, you know, in secular Greek, it was talking about a, a material possession, a piece of property. That's why they can translate this, this word substance, and say it's the title deed. It's the guarantee that you are going to take possession of something in the future. Now, of course, we understand, and I don't have time because I'm beyond my time now, but we understand that what that future possession is, it's ownership in Christ's kingdom. It's having possession. And by the way, if you look at the word inheritance in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it's talking about possession. That's what inheritance is. It's having possession. And he's telling us that walking by faith, living by faith, is the guarantee. It's the title deed. It's the way to get possession of what is to come. He says it's the evidence of things not seen. So faith is it's, it's believing God in, in, in relationship to the saving of your soul. That's why we do it. And then he goes on here in chapter 11 to name all these people from the Old Testament who live by faith, who are guarantors of that future possession. In other words, the writer's telling us they're going to get it. Now, we know at the end of that chapter, he says... Uh, they haven't got it yet. If you look at chapter 11, verse 39, he says, these all having obtained a good report through faith, receive not the promise. Now, turn back. Well, I have to turn back. Chapter 11, verse 2. Go back and look at verse 2, because I want you to see 
you know, this, these bookends, these bookends that capture the beginning of chapter 11 and the end of chapter 11. And the bookend is this, for by it, what is the it? He says, for by it, the elders obtained a good report, a good testimony. The it is faith. For by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Now, if you come back to chapter 11 and verse 39, he says, concerning all these saints that are mentioned here, these all having obtained a good report, a good testimony, through what? Through the, with the article, faith. It's the faith he was talking about, actually from Hebrews chapter 1 all the way up to this point. It's everything that he spoke of in living by faith. And so he says in verse 40, God having provided some better thing for us, another possession, that they without us should not be made perfect. Now, when it says having not received the promise, what is that? What promise is it that they hadn't received? Future inheritance in Christ's kingdom. They haven't received it yet but it's theirs. And it was guaranteed to them. They had the title deed given to them because they walked by faith. They lived by faith. And the guarantee for you and I is if we continue to walk by faith, then we get that title deed also. It is, it is guaranteed and sure with God's signature on it that it belongs to us. So when we get discouraged, when we get to feeling down, when we think we can't make it, when we feel like quitting, and I want to tell you, I get those feelings. We need to remember that if we don't give up, if we just keep walking by faith, there is something better, he says, for us. And it is participation in Christ's future kingdom. And I'm going to tell you again regarding this, is that when that day comes, I love what Royce said one, one, you know, back in the conference. If you continue to live and walk by faith and you stand before the Lord to be judged by him and he approves of you, you remember, you can be disapproved by the way you walk. We didn't, we, we didn't look at the word Dakimas and adakimas, to be approved or to be disapproved in your walk. That's possible. But if we are approved, he says, then you're going to hear that well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Or as Peter said, you're going to receive an abundant entrance into Christ's everlasting kingdom. I don't know about you, but boy, that drives me, that pushes me, and it keeps me walking with him. And it should do that for us as well. Let's pray. 
Father, we, we are so thankful that you give us the promise of assurance that if we continue to believe that we do not forsake our faith, that we walk in obedience to you, that we have the most wonderful future ahead of us that a human being could ever ask for. And I pray that as a community of believers, that we would encourage one another, hold one another up, whether it be words of encouragement, whether it be in prayer, that we might maintain the walk and know that full, fullness of joy that awaits us in that coming day. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.